This morning, as is usual, my custom anyway, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about something that's been on my mind quite a lot here lately. Uh, something I see going on in the world, and, and I think, man, it's, it's bad. This, things are bad. And, uh, you know, this is, this is different. And uh, then I have to reconsider and think, and I realize it's not different. Uh, the Bible says in uh, Ecclesiastes verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 9, The thing that has, hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun, and I forget that. And I look around and I say, man, that's never happened before. That's terrible. And then I study and I get to reading in the Bible. And no, it's, it's happened before. <laughs> and it's, it may not be pleasant, but it, it's, there's nothing new under the sun with, with regard to that. So as we begin this morning, I'd like to recount to you a, a story we find in, in John chapter 9. And uh, just to set a little background uh, before we begin reading there in John chapter 9. Jesus was leaving the temple. And as he was leaving the temple, there was a blind man that was in the path that he was taking. And uh, this man had been blind all his life from his, from his birth up. And the disciples saw this man and they said, uh, they asked Jesus, they said, why is this guy blind? Why has he always been blind? Did he commit sin or did his parents commit sin? And Jesus said, neither one. And he said something after that that, that I think is big, and we gloss over it so many times. He said, that man is here now in this place and is blind so that the works of God may appear, the works of God may be manifest. And I, I gloss over that. And I've heard Brother Sean say from time to time, you're here right now in this place in the Texas Panhandle because that's where God wants you to be. And we don't think about that. And we forget about that. And we get to looking around us and worrying about everything that's going on around us. And we say, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be somewhere else. I don't like what's happening. You're here for a reason. God wants you to be here. God wanted that blind man in that place at that time because his works were going to be made known to people through that man. So what happened? Well, Jesus spit on the ground and he made a paste out of the clay and he put it on the man's eyes and he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he did. And he came back and he could see. That ain't never happened before. We just saw something big. And that's, that's another thing Jesus was telling the disciples there. You're fixing to see something. And it's going to make a change. And that's exactly what happened. So this man came back. And he could see. And his neighbors and people knew him, saw him, and they said, you know, I guess they'd never seen a miracle like this, so they were afraid to approach the man himself. So they elbowed each other, and they said, isn't this guy that couldn't see all of his life? Wasn't he blind? And others said, no, nah, it's not. That can't be him. It's somebody that looks like him. And he heard them, and he said, no, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that was blind all my life. I couldn't see. And they said, well, what happened? And he recounted the story how Jesus had healed him. And uh, so they, uh, they marveled at this and, and they brought him to the Pharisees. 
And the Pharisees wanted to know, how did this happen? And he said, well, Jesus healed me. And they said, uh, this Jesus, this, this can't be a man of God because he healed on the Sabbath day. See, this was the Sabbath day. He violated the law of Moses and healed on the Sabbath day. And they said he can't be a man of God. But the, the interesting part was through this one little miracle, Jesus drove a wedge in the Pharisees. Because there were others of them said, well, how can you perform a miracle like that if you're not a man of God? So there was a division there. And with one little miracle, Jesus caused that, that division. And he caused some doubt in some people's mind. Because the Pharisees had said, if you confess the name of Christ, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue. And now there's some doubt. Maybe this guy is who he said he was. So they, they kept questioning him and... Uh, and they said, what do you think? They asked the, man, the blind man. They said, what do you think? And he said, well, he's a prophet. He's a man of God. And they said, what do you know about it? And they, so they called his parents and they, they said, asked him three questions. They said, is this your son? Was he born blind? And how does he now see? And they were afraid of the Jews. So they said, well, <clears throat> this is our son. And yes, he was born blind. But as for how he now sees, we don't know. You'll have to ask him. He's, he's old enough. You can ask him yourself. So they brought him back and they said, give God the glory. We know that this man referring to Jesus is a sinner. And he said, whether, he, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. What I do know is I was blind and now I'm not. And that's, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty plain and pretty simple. And that's something we ought to understand today. We were a sinner, and now we've been forgiven for sin, of sins. Now we're not. You know, it's just that simple. And sometimes we make it a lot more complicated than that. But he said, now I'm not blind. And uh, they, uh, they began to question him further, and uh, they wanted to know, you know, what exactly happened. And we want to pick up the reading there in, uh, in John chapter 9. There in uh, verse 27. He answered them, I have already told you, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Uh, we're, now we're going to start a fight. Because they considered themselves to be Moses' disciples. And they reviled him. You know what that means? That means they uh, vilified him. They tried to make him out to be the bad guy. That's what they did. And said, Thou art his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, why herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened eyes. You see what he did, and you, you don't know where he's from. You don't know he's a man of God. You can't see that because you're blind. Verse 31 now we know that God heareth not sinners. This is this man talking to the Pharisees. And, and his, he's bold in his words and what he says. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? This has never happened. And you're sitting here denying that it happened. They answered unto him, There were... Thou wert, wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. 
They threw him out. Now, my question is, what did they do to this man? They vilified him. They tried to make him out to be the bad guy, and they kicked him out of the synagogue. Our world today, our culture that we live in today, would refer to this as cancel culture. They canceled him. Why? They disagreed with him. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. Sound familiar? We say it a lot today. So this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about how we should respond. What we should do. It's pretty easy to get bent out of shape when someone's attacking you. It's pretty easy to get angry. It's pretty easy to want to get even. Want to do something about it. But you know what? It's also pretty easy to cause it and be a part of it. You know, as I tried to look up the definition of this phrase, cancel culture, it's, it's very difficult because most often it is applied to someone who has stature, someone with great influence, and then they want to take that influence away. They want to cancel them, cause them to not have influence anymore. And that's, you know, it's an accurate description, but that really doesn't affect us. You know, I, I don't have a lot of influence. I don't have a lot of stroke. I don't, I don't, I'm not anyone of stature. So they don't bother us? Yeah, they do. If you've not already been a victim of this, someone will do it to you, especially the church. Uh, people are, are constantly, in this day and age, attacking the church. So I found it a little bit more accurate just to look up the definition of cancel. What does cancel mean? And it, uh, it has a rather lengthy definition, some of which uh, hold a lot of meaning to us. To destroy the force, the effectiveness, or validity of, annul, cancel a magazine subscription, a subscription, or cancel a check. We know what that means. It, it makes it void. It, it doesn't have any use anymore. To match in force or effect, to offset, something cancels one another, two objects that are of equal weight and, and going toward one another, they offset. To bring to nothingness, to destroy. This is the one I think means the most to us. To make you worth nothing, to destroy you. <clears throat> to mark or strike out for deletion, cancel the offensive passage, to omit or delete. That also carries some weight with us. We don't appreciate being omitted. We don't want to be deleted. And this is the, the attitude that people have today when they try to, to make this happen to you. And there are two ways in which the Christian can be involved with cancel culture. First, we can be victims of it. As we said, probably you will be in some form or fashion. The church especially will be a victim of it in some form or fashion if it hasn't already. Or you can be the cause of it. And we don't think about that much, but uh, we'll talk about that a little bit uh, more in the future. But as far as being victims of, of this cause of cancellation, you know uh, the church or Christians as individuals today are, are sometimes attacked in this way. 
And a lot of times it's unjust. And the reason it's unjust is because you may simply be uh, trying to do God's will. You may be holding to doctrines uh, that God has, has put in the Bible and, God, and the Bible teaches us. Uh, for example, you know, the world takes a, a pretty dim view of many of these doctrines. You, you teach the doctrine of baptism for salvation, people don't always appreciate that. No, no, that doesn't have anything. What can getting wet have anything to do with salvation? The Bible teaches the doctrine against adultery and fornication. Well, you're messing with my business. Now, that's none of your business. That's my business. You, you take care of yourself, and I'll deal with what I want to deal with. Maybe something as simple as the Bible teaches us to be kind to one another. Well, you know, in this day and age, you've got to be pretty blunt. You've got to be pretty aggressive if you want to make it. You'll get torn apart if you're not. But the Bible teaches us to be kind to one another. <clears throat> you know, people don't want to hear that. And sometimes it can get so bad that they can do figuratively what they literally did to Stephen in Acts chapter 7 Verse 57, where they stopped up their ears and they chased him. They went after him. And you know, people may figuratively do that to us today. And then they'll try to get others to do it also. They'll try to get others to help them. Uh, and then if, if, they, if they're successful in that, they'll try to get, cause you to lose any influence you may have you know, with other Christians, with family, with friends. They'll try to take that away from you. They'll try to cause you to lose that. And there are two areas in which they may, may try to do this. Uh, if they happen to be religious in, in nature, they may try to do it uh, spiritually. They may try to tear down the doctrines you hold to. And they may try to make it seem like that you're holding to doctrines that are not true when in fact they're the ones they're not speaking the truth, so they may try to do it to you spiritually. If, uh, if they're not religious, they may simply try to do, to do it to you physically. And what I mean by physically, I mean they may try to ruin your life. So there are these two, two ways that they may attack you. So let's look at uh, spiritually for just a moment. <clears throat> In Romans 8 and 31, the Bible says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, that pretty well says it right there. We don't have to concern ourselves with being tore down spiritually. If we have the truth and we teach the truth and we abide in the truth, then God is with us and no one can stand against us. No matter what they may do. They may try but they won't be successful. If you go on down to verse 38 and 39, the Bible says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, you read that, script, that scripture, and you think of all the things it mentions. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, creatures. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the power of God if you're doing God's will, 
if you're living according to the Bible. So it's not something we should really be concerned with. Brother Zane, could I get a bottle of water, please? In Hebrews, the 13th chapter, and verse 6, the Bible says, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. It's just not, it doesn't have to be a concern for us. Now, I realize it doesn't feel good. It doesn't make us happy. But in the end, there's really nothing spiritually that can be done to us. It's just a concern in our own mind. But the Bible teaches if we remain faithful to God and we do His will, you can't be canceled from the promises that He has promised, from the rewards that He has, he has told us about. So there really doesn't need to be any concern. We just need to be concerned with being the best Christians we can be. Thank you. So let's think about the physical side of this for a minute. Someone may try to cancel you in a physical way. What do I mean by that? Uh, it may be violence. You know, sometimes people are violent against, against Christians. Or it may be that they just basically try to ruin your life and take away uh, everything you are as a person as far as your influence and your family and friends. And certainly this is, is not enjoyable either. And it's very difficult and a very hurtful situation. And it may happen because you're standing up for Christian principles. You know, some have, have tried to crush people for doing this. Uh, speaking out against uh, abortion or same-sex marriage gets you in trouble a lot of times. Uh, not, not very popular to topics to be spoken against today. And there are people that will physically or emotionally want to harm you because you uh, speak out against those cases. In John chapter 15 and verse 13, <clears throat> the Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. Now why would I use that scripture? We already know that uh, if we're standing for Christian principles that God will be with us. No, no one can divide us from God as long as we stand for Christian principles and stick to his doctrine and are obedient to his will. But in this life, we need our brothers and sisters. Because if we have our brothers and sisters, there's not much you can do to us in this life either. Greater love hath no man than he laid down his life for his friends. And you may say, well, yeah, I'd do that. And I think most everyone in here would say that. Yeah, I'd do that for my brothers and sisters in Christ. My question to you is, do your brothers and sisters in Christ know that? Because that's the relationship we should have. That's the fellowship we should have. If we know that, if we have close enough fellowship with each other that we know that, you can be in some pretty good dog fights, and as long as you know you got people to have your back, you're not too concerned about it. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ to stand against this culture that we're up against today. And if we have them, we'll be very successful. 
and standing against it. Philippians 2 and verse 4, Paul says here, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What others? Other people, other Christians. Paul was speaking to Christians here when he said these words. So he says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Watch out for each other. Take care of each other. Have each other's back. Defend each other. That's what Paul is saying here. In Romans 10, uh, 12 and verse 10, <clears throat> the Bible says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Now that's an interesting phrase. The word brotherly here is used, but we're talking about Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, whether male or female. And the Bible says prefer one another. Prefer being around each other. Prefer the good for one another. You know, that's pretty easy to do when we're abiding in God's word. But what about when we make a mistake? What about when we're guilty? We've committed some sin in word or deed, and now people are after us because we've We've fa- failed and we've, we've committed that sin. What happens then? Do we have one another's back then? You know, certainly, uh, if we're guilty of sin, we ought to be willing to repent of that and, and seek forgiveness of that. And we know this. We all know this. And we should be ready to act uh, when we find ourselves in in these situations, but you know a lot of times in this world we live in today, that's not good enough. There are many things that you can say and do from which the world says there is no redemption. You can't be redeemed from what you said to me. Is that what God teaches? Is that God's plan? In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12, the Bible says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do you forgive your debtors? Are you a forgiving person? If you are, then you can have a reasonable expectation of being forgiven when you do something wrong. Verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. You see, you have a reasonable expectation that God will forgive you of your trespasses when you're a forgiving person, when you will forgive. Verse 15, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You see, if you're not a forgiving person, then you don't have a reasonable expectation of being forgiven. So be a forgiving person. You see, if if our responsibility is to forgive, and we forgive people when they do something against us, then we can expect to be forgiven. We can expect to be forgiven by God. We, can be, we should be ex- able to expect to be forgiven from our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the point is, as far as the world goes, if the world says you can't be forgiven for that, it shouldn't have any effect. God will forgive us. Our brothers and sisters will forgive us. What the world will do has no effect. And God will judge them for that.
We've done all we can do if we're forgiving people. John 15, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they, had pers- if they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will, all- will keep yours also. But all of these things will they do unto me for my name, doing to you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. You see, Jesus warned us of this. He said, the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. And it still hates Jesus to this day. So it's going to hate us as well. But if we stick together as brothers and sisters and we forgive one another and we love one another as we're supposed to, then it won't have any effect. John 15 and verse 17. This is right before the previous verses we just read. These things I command you that you love one another. That's the attitude. That's what we need in the body of Christ to get through these times of a, of a world that wants to make us nothing and make us of little consequence as possible. But if we love one another and we stick together, then we can get through these things. If we're faithful to God, if we're obedient to God, if we love one another, if we prefer one another, if we defend one another, if we esteem one another better than others, then we'll be okay. It doesn't matter what the world tries to do to us. You know, the Bible says this world's not our home anyway. What about when Christians try to cancel others? You know, we don't think about this much. I guess we assume that we won't. But I've had to look at this rather deeply in my own life here recently. This is the one I've had to work on and meditate about and study and consider. This is the one that gives me trouble. So if if I'm talking to you this morning, no, I'm talking to myself first. You know, many things have been done in the name of Christianity uh, that have harmed people. We go back to the abortion. You know, there are people that, that have, in the name of Christianity, murdered abortion doctors. That, that's pretty stiff consequences. Abortion clinics have been burned to the ground. That's, that's pretty, pretty radical. There are varying ways that we may, we may harm people. Uh, and it's something that I've had to consider. And, and what I've really had to crit- criticize is my attitude. You know, as I said before, I don't feel like I have a terrible lot of influence, especially over uh, famous people and people of stature. I don't, I don't have much influence on them. I can go vote, and that's about it. Uh, but my attitude, what, what, what is my attitude? We know we've got to stand up for Christian principles, don't we? Amen? 
We've got to stand up for Christian principles. We've got to speak out against these things. But you know there's a wide gap between speaking out against abortion and killing a doctor that performs abortions or someone that works at an abortion clinic. That's a pretty big gap. And I think we can see that. But can we see it when, it's, when the consequences are not so visible? Can we see it when it's just an attitude within ourselves about something we want to happen that's not very Christian in nature? <clears throat> what if I no longer just speak out against something, but I want to take action? What, what can I do? What should I do? What if I want others to join me in taking action? What if I use social media to try to drum up support against someone or some group? You know, you can do that real quickly. A lot of people will agree with you right quick. What if I'm involved in that? Is it a very Christian way to be? You know, sometimes the disagreement may not even be over biblical matters. It may be over traditions, traditions of men. We hold our tradition. We're not unlike the Pharisees in that, in that instance. We hold our, our traditions pretty closely. And, and that's okay sometimes. Uh, but it also can be a problem. And again, what concerns me is, is my attitude. You know, I may not be able to do much about it, but I can talk about it and I can think about it. And what's that doing to my, to my uh, Christianity is I dwell on these things and not dwell on good things. Second Corinthians 10 and verse 5 the Bible says, casting down imaginations and everything high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. These things that I think about, I need to control them, don't I? I need, I need to take them and put them where they belong. And a lot of times, in my case, they belong in the garbage can. It's where they belong. And I need to make them come into the obedience of Christ. And it's a very difficult thing to do sometimes. But we need to bring them into captivity. And they need to be brought to the obedience of Christ. And I'll give you an example of one that's been bothering me a lot here lately. I know it's bothered some of you because I've heard you say it and I'm not talking about your attitude, I'm talking about my attitude, what, what I've had to examine. But we see these professional athletes kneeling for the national anthem and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. And I'll tell you I don't like it. But can you, can you tell me where in the Bible it says, Thou shalt not kneel for the singing or playing of the national anthem? It doesn't say it. It's a tradition. Now, it's a long-held tradition, and it's an important tradition to a lot of us. And it means a lot to a lot of us. But I don't like it. 
And I'll tell you right now, it's probably going to affect how much I watch sports. And that's okay. That's, that's okay for me. That's my decision. You know, I probably watch too much anyway. So that's, that's fine. And it's probably going to affect Maybe not because I don't do that that much anyway, but it might affect, and it might affect you, how much money I spend on sports paraphernalia, clothing or shoes or otherwise. And that's okay too. That's my choice. But what I want you to think about is my attitude. What I want to happen. When I say I don't like it and I want something to change, What's my attitude? Do I want these these professional athletes to lose their job? Do do I want them to get kicked off the team and lose their livelihood and lose everything they've got? Do I want these team owners to lose everything they've got? Do I want these families of these people that I perceive to be offenders, do I want them to suffer because of something they have done? That's troubling to me when I when I realize that I get to thinking about those things. Because that's not a very Christian way to be. That's not a very Christian attitude to have. So I decided I needed to dig a little deeper about this and and, uh, consider my attitude and uh, what can I do and what should I not do. Do I want a pound of flesh? That's pretty stiff consequences for violating a tradition of man. What about my attitude towards other people that may want to watch this or or they may want to buy, buy the memorabilia. You know, I may not like, like Nike and I may not like what Nike stands for, but if Brother Britt likes to wear a Nike shoes, what's my attitude toward him? Does that diminish my love for my brother? If it does, the problem's in me. The problem's not with him. <clears throat> you see, we can be the cause of, of cancellation and not even think about it just for an attitude, just for, for the thoughts that we have in our head. But whether it's due to a difference of biblical doctrine or tradition of men, is it really our job to cause physical or emotional harm to come to someone because we don't like what they're doing? You know, you can stand against it. You can speak out against it. But if you do much more than that, if you cause harm in any way, aren't you violating Romans 12 and verse 19? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Jesus will take care of this. Jesus will take care of the judgment. It's not our job to be the judge and jury and executioner. And I want to give you three reasons why this type of attitude is dangerous. 
First of all, as we talked about earlier, it leaves little or no room for redemption. And God and the law of Christ has always been about redemption. That's its main, main source. If it was not for redemption, there wouldn't any of us be here today. So first, let's consider that. Uh, can you really shame someone into being redeemed? Can you force them into it? The Bible says in Titus 2 and 14, Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purified to himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Redemption comes through God. We can't force it on anyone. We can tell them about it. We can present them to them. We can, we can give them the opportunity to understand it. And that's about all we can do. Secondly, the consequences extend to people that are not the offenders. Consequences extend to, to family, employees, friends, co-workers. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, <clears throat> the Bible says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone that re may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now why would I mention this? Because Christ's judgment, God's judgment, is righteous. And he doesn't judge anyone for something someone else did. He, he doesn't do that. You always have to stand on your own account. You always ha are judged on the things that you've done, not the things someone else has done. But here we are in our unrighteous judgment, causing harm to someone that had nothing to do with it. You see what I'm saying? Our judgment is unrighteous. So we have no business being in the judgment business. Thirdly, it's a hypocritical application of punishment. Now what do I mean by that? It's not a consistent punishment. Again, our judgment's not very good. I'll give you an example. In John chapter 8, as the, uh, the Jews there, the, the scribes and Pharisees were bringing the uh, woman uh, who was caught in an adultery. They brought her there before Jesus. And there in verse 3, the Bible says, And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? There's a couple of reasons this is hypocritical of these people. One, it wasn't about this woman. They were trying to trap Jesus. Now this woman may have been guilty, but they didn't drag her before Jesus to try to get her stoned. They were willing to sacrifice her. They were willing to cancel her ultimately. But that wasn't what they were after. They were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get him to speak out against the law. The second reason it's hypocritical is because if the woman was taken in the very act of adultery, the guy was too. And he wasn't here. Where's he at? Why? Was he one of theirs? Was he a friend of theirs? You see, 
the judgment is hypocritical. The pun application of punishment is hypocritical. This person's guilty. This person's not so guilty because I like them. So that's what we do as fallible human beings. <clears throat> as sinful humans, we're not very consistent, are we? Is that what the Bible teaches? Is that how the Bible teaches us to be? In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think more highly than he ought to think, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. So be serious like this. You know what the Spanish word cordura means? Sane. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Be reasonable. Be, be thoughtful. Be, be sane. Don't be insane about these things. But think about these things sanely. Not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. If we'll think of ourselves that way, uh, we'll, be, we'll be less inclined to pass judgment on other people. Matthew 5 and verse 44 but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good unto them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Four simple little things. that We ought to treat people, a way that we ought to treat people in which we're, uh, we're not judgmental. We can still stand up for, for biblical principles. But we can treat people with respect. Now very quickly I'd like to touch on just a couple of things that, that have, have been in all of this mess of this cancel culture. A couple of things that religious people have tried to include in this and it's, it's not a part of it. The first being uh, is cancel culture the same thing, same as biblical separation from the worldly things. You know we are told in uh, 1 John 2, 15 and 16, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Also in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. We know this. We understand this. So is this what cancel culture is about? You know, you read these things about not being a part of the world, loving not, not loving the world, and not being a part of the world, and then we see where these things corrupt good manners. Seems kind of reasonable, doesn't it? But this is how we're supposed to be, and yet at the same time, we're supposed to teach the gospel. We're supposed to preach to other people. We're supposed to try to convince other people of their need of Jesus. And yet we're not to be a part of the world. How can we do that? Going back to Brother Britt. He's wearing these Nike shoes. And I say, you sorry sucker. Why are you wearing those shoes? You know what, what Nike stands for. I hope you lose everything you've got. I hope everybody turns against you. I hope you don't have a friend in this world anymore. And then I come knock on Britt's door one day and say, hey Britt, you want to study the Bible? What's going to happen? 
I don't even want to look at you. But that's what we do. That's what that's how we shoot ourselves in the foot. Cancel culture is not separation of the biblical of of worldly things. We have to be living in the world. We're to keep ourselves separate. We're we're to keep ourselves pure from these things. We're not to be a part of these things. We don't have these things in our life, but yet we're trying to convince people to come to Christ. Sharing the gospel should be our goal while keeping ourselves pure from the world. Romans 12 and 2 says for us to not be conformed to the world. Be transformed, not to be conformed. Is cancel culture the same thing as church discipline? No, it's not. It's very simple. Why? Exclusion from the church or from fellowship or or anything of that nature is done after very extensive studies, much prayer, much discussion. And and then in those cases, it's always, always done with the, the goal of redemption. Always. Those opportunities are always there. And that's not what cancel culture is about. Church discipline is always done with the goal of restoring people. In Galatians 6 and 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So when one of these extreme situations, which very rarely ever happen, comes up, first thing we've got to do is consider ourselves. And then perform some, some action with the goal of restoring someone. That doesn't sound like a goal of bringing someone to nothingness or making them worthless. On the contrary, it sounds like wanting only absolute best for someone, which is the love that we should have, the love of God. First Peter 4 and 8. But of all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Love covers a lot of problems. If we love one another, then we we cover a lot of problems. You know, we're required as Christians to be different, to be separate, but to be different in word, the things we speak, to be different in deeds, the things we do, to be different in attitude. And uh, as I've considered these things in my life and considered my attitude, uh, I'd, I'd ask you for prayers on my behalf for, for this, for my improvement in this area, in all three of these areas. You know, uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17, Wherefore come ye out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And if you struggle with these things like I do, then uh, I know how you feel. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.